Well, hello, friends. This is Eddie, host of The New Activist, and I am prefacing this episode because this is actually a re-release of an episode from September 21st, 2016, in our very first season, our second episode of that season, and it's an interview I got to have with Seth Goldman, CEO and founder of Honest Tea. You will hear his whole bio, but I was really excited about this show, and I'm still excited about this show because this was the first business owner we had on the show, and it gave us an opportunity to hear about the intersection of the corporate world and the activism world. So can't wait for you to hear this again. Wanted to remind you before the show starts that this is a presentation of International Justice Mission. IJM is working to end slavery in our lifetime and won't stop until all are free. You can and would you please support the work of IJM by going to newactivist.is forward slash IJM. Newactivist is IJM and filling out the very quick form that you see there. It is life-changing and it's a great way to support this show. Here is the second episode of the first season re-released for you. P.S. The music is different. I sound different. Everything's kind of weird. But the interview is great. <laughs> okay, that's my insecurity talking. It'll be fine. I hope you enjoy the show. This is The New Activist. Well, this is indeed The New Activist. My name is Eddie Koffoltz, and I am so glad that you are here with us on this second show. Maybe this is your first time with us, and I'm really glad that you found us, somebody told you about us. You just randomly saw it on iTunes. Whatever brought you here, I'm really glad that you are here. And for those that have been with us since the beginning, a week ago, <laughs> welcome back. This is episode 002, and uh, I like the naming structure of 002. It makes me feel like there's a lot more to come, because why would you put 00 if you didn't think at some point you were going to get to 100? I might be crazy. I don't know. In any event... This is episode 002 with Seth Goldman. Seth is the co-founder of Honest Tea. He co-founded it in 1998 with his Yale uh, Business School. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, School of Management, actually. His Yale School of Management professor, Barry. And the company has grown steadily. And actually, in March of 2011, Honest Tea was acquired by Coca-Cola. And what was really interesting about that was that Honest Tea remained Honest Tea. But it now was this organic and fair trade brand nestled within the world's largest distribution system. Super interesting story. We'll talk about that with Seth. In 2016, Seth transitioned to a new role at Honest Tea as the, listen to this title, they made it up, the TEO Emeritus. How's that? <laughs> I like it. I like puns. Uh, he is also uh, working uh, as an innovation catalyst for Coca-Cola's venturing and emerging brands business unit. Seth is a graduate of Harvard College and, as I said, the Yale School of Management, and he is a Henry Crown Fellow of the Aspen Institute. Seth lives with his wife and three sons near Honest Tea's headquarters in Bethesda, Maryland, and they live in, of course, a very eco-friendly home. 
So here is my conversation with Seth Goldman. Hi, this is Seth. Hi, Seth. It's Eddie. How are you? Good, Eddie. How are you doing? Good. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Glad to. Well, besides the the just incredible taste, there is a, a deep mission to honesty. Um, I, I read on, I think, your bio, it said it's a brand that uh, that strives to create honest relationships with customers, suppliers, and the environment. Um, if you could, could you walk us through what each one of those sure. looks like as an honest relationship? Sure. So the first thing we try to do, obviously, is to connect with the consumer that way. And that means selling a drink that is what it claims to be and nothing more. We're not going to cure cancer. Uh, we're not going to um, <laughs> yeah. change uh, well, some people say it's life changing, but we don't claim that. We just claim to be what it is. So there's, mm. there's, you know, if the ingredients are what they are, uh, and we certainly won't make any claims that we can't back up. And then with respect to um, the taste, obviously that also is unadorned, and that's why it's so much less sweet. Uh, and and you know, one thing people find when they taste it is it, it's it's certainly not what they're used. To, what it's not what's normally on the market. And so for some people, it may be not what they expect. Mm. Then. Um, with respect to the environment, organic is really a core pillar of um, how we uh, brought our product to market. So it is this idea that we can have a positive impact, uh, or I would say a less harmful impact on the environment by cultivating our drinks. And in this case, we grow them without any chemical pesticides or chemical fertilizers. We believe that's better for the ecosystems. We also think it's better for the people picking the Tewees, and of course, we think it's better for the ecosystem in these in these communities, and and for ultimately for the people drinking them. And then the last, uh, but certainly not least, pillar is fair trade. You know, tea is one of the world's least expensive commodities, and so um, we should be able to buy this product um, and really buy high quality product and still be able to reinvest in the communities. And actually, just this year. We uh, realize that we have now donated more than a million dollars back to the communities that we support in, in our purchasing through these fair trade premiums. So that's a real milestone. Mm. There appears to be, to, to your to your point, there appears to be we're in a moment, we're in a, and I hope it's not a moment, but we're in a season where people clearly have an awareness of the justice implications of the food they eat and the liquids that they drink from fair trade coffee to cage-free eggs and locally grown produce. And you can get this now, you know this, you know, you can go right. to a, a Walmart, you can go to basically any store and there are some measure of ethical choices. Um, that's from me, though, seeing it as just a consumer. I'm curious from from your view, where you're at, as you have a much deeper understanding of the landscape and what it means actually to be honest, for lack of a better word. Um, is this actually, do you feel that we are on an uptick or is this a fad or is this yeah. just marketing? I do think it's a fundamental direction. I certainly hope it is. I, yeah. I can't envision any scenario where consumers are going to want to have less uh, transparency about how their product, you know, how the things they consume are grown. I think, you know, consumers are connecting the dots. And so um, it's interesting. I had a conversation once early on in the company with one of our board members. He was a great mentor, Jeff Swartz, the uh, CEO of Timberland, the, mm. the footwear and apparel company. And he was, he, we were out walking and he saw somebody with a Timberland shirt. He said, look at that. He says, think how, think how important it, that, that is or, or what a, a level of trust that person has to have. They're putting our product on their body. 
Mm. Then I pause and say, wait a minute, people are putting our product in their body. (laughs) (laughs) So you really got to have this trust. And I just think the more consumers know about this, I can't imagine why they'd want to have, you know, less confidence and less trust uh, in what they, what they put in their bodies. Now, you know, you could, maybe there's a scenario where the economic downturn changes that if there is one, but you know, we went, we just weathered a pretty um, steep recession and, and, and our sales grew every year. So I just think we're in a fundamental direction uh, where people value and will continue to value transparency. And of course, you, all the data around millennials and the next generation um, really is, is, is uh, it's even more compelling that this is a group of consumers who really like to connect the dots and insist on connecting the dots. And, and if a company won't let them connect the dots, won't give them the information they want to understand, then um, they'll, make their, they'll take their business elsewhere. Hmm. Why is what we eat and drink and consume, why is that a, a social justice issue? You know, it's the one activity that everybody does uh, three times a day, hmm. and, or, or at least twice a day, depending on the meal choice. But so it really gives you this chance to express your values um, uh, with these choices. And, um, you know, you only get to vote, you know, some people maybe vote once or twice uh, or every two years. Um, uh, rarely do you get to really literally take an action and make a choice. And, and of course, most people still make that choice without really thinking about it. But even when they do that, they're still making a choice, maybe an unconscious choice, but they are having an impact. And I think the more we can help people connect the, the fact that their choices do have an impact, um, that's, that's a very positive thing. How difficult is it, or, or maybe it's not, but I would assume that it's fairly difficult to uh, to maintain that honest supply chain as you all scale, as there are more and more yeah. products being released continually. It's it, it can't be easy just to find fair trade products where everyone would just do it by default, I would say. Can you speak into that a bit and what that process has been like? You know, it was harder in the beginning um, mm-hmm. because these supply chains weren't developed. There wasn't enough demand for organic or enough demand for fair trade. And so one of the benefits of our growth is that we've been able to go to these communities and say, look how we're growing. And if you want to be our partner, we need your um, supply chain to be organic, to pass organic certification standards. And we need your, we need you to be um, providing the right labor and uh, wage conditions to your workers. And then you, we need to set up a structure that will allow us to reinvest in the community where the workers have a say. And so those are all significant Investments, but you know, ultimately, in this case, the market really does work. And by that, I mean that consumers in the U.S. have you know sought out our products, which in turn gives us the power to go to these communities, and and the communities that want to be our partners um, will will meet these standards. And so, um, we're fortunate. There's been more. The supply has grown. The supply of fair trade and organic have grown. And the other benefit of scale is that it lets us continue to move. Um, up, you know, usually the stereotype is, is that as a company gets bigger, it tries to cheapen what it's doing. We've done the opposite. In fact, we, you know, when we started, um, our products weren't fair trade certified; they weren't even um, organic certified. Hmm. And then we took the first step to organic in 1999, um, and by 2004, made all of our ingredients organic. And then we did the first fair trade tea in 2003, but it wasn't until 2011 that we were able to make all of our teas fair trade certified. Wow! Just this year, we took the the uh, it's not the last step, but another big step by by making all of the sugar in our supply chain organic certified. And and although of course we use less sweetener than most companies, 
um, we do use, uh, you know, by pound, we do buy more sugar than any other ingredient just because it's a heavy ingredient in contrast to mm. tea. So to move all of our sugar purchasing to fair trade certification increases our cost of goods by several hundred thousand dollars a year. And yet, you know, we, this was an investment which we were able to make because of the scale. Tell me about the moment uh, where you went from having a, a good idea and a business plan, which I think it's hilarious that you can download your original <laughs> business plan. It's a solid business plan, but it is you know, like it was you guys, you didn't edit it at all. It's no. like the original PDF. That was such a brave thing to do. I'm like embarrassed to listen to an interview from a week ago, but you've got your original <laughs> business plan on there. Um, but tell me what it was like for you having a good idea and a business plan with your Yale School of Ma- Management professor, uh, Barry, right? Sure. Barry um, yeah. To to quitting what I assume was a solid career at Calvert yeah. Mutual. There, there's got to be a moment where you, you're losing a few nights sleep realizing, oh, oh I'm, a, I'm about – yeah, yeah. Don't, t- take me inside that because I think that's a real moment of fear that, yeah. that can stop – a lot of people, me included. I mean, it's it's terrifying mm-hmm. to really do it. So yeah, tell, tell me about sure. Take me in that. So well, I, I looked at a few things. So first of all, I had to make sure my wife was on board, which she was. Was. Uh, and that was great. It, basically, what she said was, look, um, you have a lot of passion for this. I, and she said, I always knew you were going to do something entrepreneurial. wasn't sure if it was going to be for-profit or non-profit. Um, you're at an early enough stage in your career where, you know, it doesn't work. You're going to have lots of other options. The folks at Calvert were, were very, you know, really valued me and were, you know, wonderfully supportive. Um, so I wasn't going to, if I, if, it, if I came back with my tail between my legs, they would have <laughs> taken me back. Um, and so it was this feeling like, all right, well, this is the time. Our kids were still young. So we had actually, we had three sons. Our youngest had just been born. But even then, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like we were paying for college or anything like that. There was... Um, uh, so we all had, and, and the other thing that was important was we had a very, I call it a very low burn rate. We were not, you know, we were living modestly. We, I don't know whether we didn't have cable TV or, you know, it was just a very simple life. So, um, I was, I was able to live with very little, um, minimal income, um, which, which was yeah. useful because I didn't have that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and then what was funny, I remember the moment where I went to go hand in my resignation at Calvert and I, I, um, you know, the, 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 I wasn't worried about my ability to execute. I was really worried that this concept hadn't been proven. So I, I called Barry just for a little boost of confidence and say, okay, I'm going to go, you know, hand in my resignation at Calvert, which has been so good to me. Um, but are you sure we'll, to, to Barry, I said, are you sure we'll be able to make the tea? I mean, we made it in our kitchen, you know, but that's like, you know, anyone can make tea in a teacup <laughs> and <everybody laughs> goes, can you make 15,000 bottles? Um, and so there's this long pause because of course, Barry wasn't leaving his job. He's still, he still is a professor at Yale. Yeah. So he says, well, he says, I'm pretty sure we can make it, but you know, I bet you if you asked to go on a sabbatical, if you had told, you know, if you went to, to the president of Calvert and said, you'd like to take a three months off to explore this concept, I bet, I bet she'd agree to that. And, and I, you know, I knew having been around this area long enough that it, that wasn't going to work. I, if I was in, I was all in. And so, um, <laughs> that wasn't exactly the boost of confidence I was hoping to hear from Ben. <laughs> right, right, right. You're right. You want, you want him to like sing eye of the tiger and send you yeah. into that meeting to quit. But he's yeah. just like, maybe you can just halfway pull the ripcord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I did it. And, uh, obviously don't regret that I did. During those early days, 
what really drove you? I, 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 because I'm curious. Honest Tea is just such a an ethical, honest yeah. company, but it is also uh, lucrative. You're also starting a business, right? So it's both yeah. of these things that you have to hold, I guess, not intention, but in companionship with each other. I'm curious what in those early days was like, this gets me out of bed. This makes me bottle with my yeah. college professor. This makes it happen. You know, Eddie, it's the same thing that still motivates me, which is the mission. So mm -hmm. um, it's this idea that if we do this right, we can really have an impact on people's diets. If we build it powerfully, we can have an impact on agriculture. Mm. And if we if we bring it to scale, we can have an impact on the communities we source from. And so that's what's so neat is that um, obviously in the beginning, <laughs> that, that it was just a model, uh, really, you know, and we were just trying to prove that it could work. Now it's really driving change. And now I'd like to think we can have an impact on business because when we succeed in the marketplace, we can inspire others to follow us or at least, or, or even better, pressure them to follow us. You know, that, right. and we've seen it. We've seen it. We look at the kids category where honest kids are um, organic fruit drinks are just this runaway success. And we've seen the whole category shift. Uh, so it's a lower calorie profile. And the largest player in the market just this year converted and started bringing out organic. Um, so on the one hand, it creates competition, but boy, what a wonderful form of flattery and what a wonderful impact we can collectively have on the environment when we can um, make it so that the marketplace really pressures the all players to, 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 to move closer to our values. To the competition in the market. Um, brands have clearly realized that what you're doing is delicious and thoughtful and it's selling. So from a justice perspective, more of an ethical thing is a good thing. We would love Absolutely. for all, all tea to be made this way, cared about this way. But from a business perspective, it cuts into a market share. Um, uh, and, and I'll, I, take that, I'll take that trade off any day. Okay, I so really will. Tell me, how do you reconcile those two realities? Because well, you, we keep, it, yeah. means, it means that just as we want to create pressure for the others to follow us, it creates pressure for us to continue to lead. Mm. And so – uh, when, you know, as I said, when we first moved to organic, okay, everyone's following organic, then, you know, then we deepen our commitment on fair trade and maybe they'll start using fair trade tea. Uh, but like I said, we just moved on to fair trade sugar and I can't, I, I can't tell you exactly what the next thing is, but I'm confident when you let your mission lead you, um, it, it will continue. You know, we never talk about this as a socially responsible business because that suggests uh, you've arrived. You, there's that you, you, you're, you've satisfied your desire. And for us, we're always striving. And so we, our mission always drives us to, to deepen what we're doing. And, and this, as I said, you know, one, one organic bottle of tea was a start. Uh, moving everything to organic was, you know, a, a more complete realization. And just as I said, we started with one fair trade bottle of tea, then we moved to all fair trade tea, then to fair trade sugar. And so we always will be driven to, to elevate and deepen um, our, our commitments and our impact. Well, clearly the market is paying attention because in, uh, what was it, 2008, Coca-Cola made a generous investment and in 2011 purchased Honest Tea. Is my, right. is my timeline right on that? And Coke, Coke is delicious. And But to a general consumer, they don't necessarily lead with the same ethos as Honest Tea, which is you know not too sweet, honest to consumer right. supply. These things may be true, but that's not what we think about when we think about Coke. We think about you know teaching the world to sing in perfect harmony. <laughs> um, so tell me, what has it been like coming under the umbrella of Ooh. of Coca Cola? Well, I mean, yeah, just, well, yeah. Tell me what that's like. It was a risk, right? When right. in two thousand eight, when we did this deal, there were people who were saying, "How's this mission-driven entrepreneurial brand going to partner with a large 
multinational. And usually the track record of these acquisitions is that the, the mission gets lost, the entrepreneur leaves, the brand kind of gets you know, homogenized into a portfolio. And, you know, I, I think I uh, not I think I know I can confidently state that that, ha that hasn't happened here, that, you know, instead of cheapening the ingredients, we've deepened all those commitments, you know, mm -hmm. that. That conversion to all fair trade tea, that happened in 2011 after Coca-Cola bought the company. And this, this latest step with the fair trade sugar, which significantly increased our cost of goods, that just happened this year. So, um, you know, the, 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 the mission still drives us. And, and the wonderful uh, part of this partnership with Coca-Cola is, you know, when we can continue to grow this brand and the business, um, that, that answers any, any questions someone might have. And what was so, you know, the... <laughs> when they can see the kind of growth we're generating uh, with consumers, a lot of whom they weren't even in their, you know, their franchise, that's a very valuable thing to a business. And so what's interesting, when we made the shift to fair trade sugar, there was a question asked, well, what's the, you know, okay, you're going to be spending hundreds of thousands more. What's the return on investment of doing that? What's right. the value? And we, and it's a very data-driven organization, as any large company can, it probably should be. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we we don't know. <laughs> we yeah. don't have any quantitative or qualitative study that says when you do this, you know, you'll sell more drinks. Mm. And yet we knew it was the right thing to do for the brand. And 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 what was especially nice about it actually was that uh, the part of our team that proposed that was the team based in Atlanta. Mm. So. You know, it wasn't, it, look, I wish we could have done that from the beginning, but we didn't have the scale um, to do it. So it was only when I growth for our growth, uh, and, and, and actually what we did was we, through Coca-Cola, were able to buy a slightly uh, less expensive bottle. And that was at the point where we said, hey, if the bottle's less expensive, we could afford to put a little more money towards, with every purchase, toward these, the communities that we're sourcing from. Hmm. In our final moments, I'm curious, do you consider yourself an activist? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, tell me uh, how. What, how would you so define it? I, I, you know, to me, an activist is somebody who takes action about, against issues that he or she cares about. And so, you know, for me, this has always been an activist. I'm an activist in an entrepreneur's body, <laughs> <laughs> or an entrepreneur in an activist body, whatever, whichever way you call it. Um, this, the, the, the company has a very clear... Um, mission and uh, every day we, we set out thinking about how we can grow and deepen um, our efforts against the, the issues we care about. Hmm. Seth, I really appreciate it. Thank you Thank so you. much. Sure. Okay. All right. Take care. Yes, sir. Bye bye. As I listened back to my conversation with Seth, there were a couple things that just stood out to me about his story. The first was that he at some point, just started bottling tea. He just started a tea company, right? Because he's an entrepreneur type, and he's always got these ideas, and he sees problems and solutions, but he saw a problem that there wasn't a uh, healthy, non-sugary option out there, something that was good for our bodies, and there wasn't a tea out there that was kind to the people that were growing it. There isn't a tea out there that was ethical and so he saw these two issues and he put them together and at some point he just started bottling he got snapple bottles and he just made the first batch of honest tea i think that for so many of us maybe it's just me but it's that first step like we have these ideas but it's like come on let's do something let's just try it let's jump 
and see what happens. That was the first thing, was just the encouragement to me. Like, you don't know how all of this is gonna go and it doesn't seem really plausible, but we see a problem and we have a solution. And maybe it's not the whole solution and maybe it's not gonna work, but he tried and it succeeded. And that kind of leads me to the second thing I'm thinking about is so often we shy away from the ideas that our dreams may get big, that it may actually work and we may actually be successful in what it is we are trying to do. I think about this with Seth. I think about this with other people who are going to be on the show this season whose little tiny idea has blown up into a major nonprofit. For me, I think a lot of it is just an encouragement to not be afraid, to not be afraid of what happens if it's successful because now that Honesty is more successful and now that Cook is looking to them to lead in this area, they are getting to speak into major world issues like the issue of water sustainability and ethical sourcing of sugar. These are huge socioeconomic and political and ethical questions that because Seth took a single step and wasn't afraid to see something grow, he's able to actually be a part of the conversation in solving those problems. I'm glad we got to hear from Seth. If you would like to chat with him, he is available on Twitter at, wait for it, Honest Seth, of course. And you can read more about Honesty. They are all over Twitter and Facebook, both of them are Honest T, and you can find them at honesttea.com. Speaking of which, we have social media and a website. Conversations are happening all of the time on Facebook and Twitter. Both of them have the same handle, New Activist Is, one word, New Activist Is, and we have a website, newactivist.is. Also, you can subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. But if you happen to have a moment, if you could make your way over to the iTunes section and review it, slash toss us a few stars, that would be really helpful in getting other people to find this show. The music for The New Activist was composed by Ether. You can listen to more of his music at soundcloud.com forward slash Ether. That's A-E-T-H-E-R. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends. <laughs>